the Ortho PAC, hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome back to today's podcast, Building an Orthopedic Practice, with my guests Dr. Philip Flip Clifford and Maddie Collier, PAC. Welcome, Maddie and Flip. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having us. I'm hoping to cover a couple of topics, both starting up and managing an orthopedic practice and outpatient total joints. So let's begin with starting up your own practice. So how's it going? Oh, gosh. I mean, we picked, we picked the perfect time right before a pandemic to open our own practice, right? I mean, independent, private practice, giant city. Uh, oh, well, right before a pandemic. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That was a hiccup that nobody plans for. You know, uh, obviously it has its challenges. Uh, independence is a fantastic thing, but it is it is work. It's a situation where you learn you really have to surround yourself with fantastic people. You know, we hired one amazing human who has made all the difference in the world. You know, without her, uh, we'd be done. Yeah, we'd be belly up. We'd, we'd have been belly up a long time ago. We've also hired some folks that, that came very well recommended and lost a lot of money on them. Uh, and that was with vetting people appropriately and supposedly folks being really good. So, um, I mean, that's, that's part of it. Uh, but we're, um, we're actually fortunately really, uh, really starting to turn a corner and doing a lot better. Having gotten through the whole COVID crisis, which, um, you know, as you imagine for elective surgery, the, the fear that a lot of people had, whether it was, going to a hospital for surgery or a surgical center, you know, they didn't, people didn't want to go outside. <laughs> so um, it, it was hard. It was hard. You know, there's so much to think about um, and so much to do with starting any business, but what would you say are the top things to consider when hanging your own shingle as a private orthopedic practice? Uh, I mean, several things. I mean, EMR, radiographic storage of images, how to, how to reconcile those two. You know, one of the things that we did was, we kind of combine the two. We actually purposely chose an EMR that facilitates image capture and it's cloud-based. So we have uh, our images instead of being stored on a PAX are actually stored in our EMR um, and, and can be brought back up for comparison within the EMR. So we can review images, um, but don't have to pay for an extra PAX. Um, they're, uh, you know, they're, they're, I mean, they're all, they're, gosh, there's so many different things as far as how those two are related that actually helps malpractice insurance, health insurance, contracting, billing, uh, all of that, all that's, all of those are challenges that are, if, if, if you haven't dealt with them before, it is, uh, it's almost a different language. Sure. What about insurance and billing? You know, we, we are fortunate to have a fantastic billing company that one doesn't charge us a lot, but two, um, does just a fantastic job. So, um, uh, that's super important as well. Okay, awesome. How have you integrated yourself into the community with respect to referring providers, patients, etc.? What makes your practice attractive to your community? So initially when we got here, we, um, we were connected with a lady who was born and raised here and has done marketing for other groups. And she took us around and introduced us to some folks. And unfortunately, that didn't really pay off despite our best efforts and being on our best behavior. Um, but we also have just kind of gotten lucky. Um, we had a gentleman called Collis, who is a physical therapist and chiropractic doc here. 
and we ended up just hitting it off and his small practice and our small practice put together a five and 10 K at the end of um, 2019. Uh, so that was huge. And now we're actually sharing an office space for the time being and referring each other patients. Another thing is in, in Florida or Tampa rather, um, there's not a whole lot of providers that take Medicaid. Uh, so we're one of the only two practices that takes Medicaid. And we've really made a connection with a, a, a group here called Tampa Family Health. And they mostly use uh, what's called Hillsborough County Insurance. And it's kind of, it's Medicaid, but it's for a year. And so it's folks that just kind of had a bad run of luck, maybe lost their job, who knows, but it helps them stay on their feet. So we've We've really had some incredible people come from that that insurance group, and um, since we're one of the only people to take it, they've really helped us. Uh, and then some other physicians who sports docs also do in joints that don't really want to do joints. Uh, what am I missing? I, I've sort of always tried to give back to my community, so hence the want to go ahead and take Medicaid, even though so many people are not willing to. Um, one is it serves your community and the other is, is, you know, those, those folks tend to be very, you know, appreciative of your care and they got families and, and those families, some of them, you know, uh, need help too. And they might have regular insurance. So doing a good deed sort of goes a long way. Um, I did that when I was in Durham, I was a part of Lincoln community health center and gosh, we were doing surgeries there that, um, you weren't even getting paid for at all. So it truly was, was community charitable care. So um, your heart's got to be in the right place in medicine still, even today when we're all pushed to do more and, and, and get, you know, crushed for, for money. And, and uh, honestly, that usually comes back to help you. There's definite referral patterns that you kind of have to try to fight. And those are tough. And a lot of times what that actually takes is a patient hopping on the internet and, once you get enough Google reviews, which is where we've gotten in the last five or six months, it really makes a big difference. So patients have found us through the internet search. You have to attack it from several, several different angles and having an online presence is important, uh, but paying an arm and a leg for search engine optimization isn't really the best way. It's, it's more of a long haul presence and just treating people right. And the, and the word gets around, uh, it takes a while, but um, we actually, this is kind of my favorite thing that's happened lately. We had a, a lady who, well, she was referred to us from one of our patients. So patient already referred a patient. This woman is in security at the Tampa airport and sees this woman like hobbling around that, that hip. And she pulls out our card and is like, you got to go see these guys. They're great. Wow. Spending time with folks. It really goes a long way. Very well said. Please tell our listeners what options your practice offers patients for hip and knee degenerative joint disease, i.e. regenerative medicine, uh, surgery, arthroplasty, bariatric surgery, referral for weight loss. What options? Um, Yeah, we actually kind of do all that. Um, So with knees, you know, we primarily follow a pretty routine protocol. Um, If it's a pretty trash joint, we'll potentially try a steroid injection. Um, and, and I, and I, I usually use that as a prerequisite. Um, I actually won't typically inject steroid in folks whose joints look pretty good. I think in general, uh, in, in our world, both intra-articular and oral steroids get overused, but, um, 
but maybe that's a topic for another um, another podcast. So uh, steroid and then visco supplementation um, from a regenerative medicine standpoint, I'm I'm a big believer that the magic of stem cells isn't the cellular portion; it's the growth factors that get transmitted along with them. So in the few patients that stem cells work, uh, which is very hot in Florida, um, I think it's actually the growth factors. Um, stem cells down here range from five to 7,000 for an injection. The uh, amniotic fluid, which has the exact same growth factors, uh, tends to be about uh, you know, 25, 2600 for an injection. And I think regeneratively probably works as well. Um, we have had significant success with a number of folks who are you know, grade three osteoarthritic knees, who, uh, and even one guy who's grade four in, in, on some views, um, do actually quite well with the amniotic fluid injections with, you know, even six to 12 months of, of improvement, maintaining activity levels. The uh, cutoff we have for surgery typically is about 42 BMI, and we try to counsel patients who are heavy. Um, we, we talk through intermittent fasting and potentially combining with uh, a healthy uh, keto or keto-esque diet. Um, and that's worked for a great number of our patients. We do have a, a really good bariatric surgeon that we refer to, and we actually have um, a provider that also does uh, diabetic care counseling and um, a, you know physician-assisted weight loss. I think that's a huge flaw that so many practices. It's like you know surgeons are sometimes are asses, and you know a fat person goes in there and the surgeon tells them they're fat as if they don't crazy already know that they're fat and then they don't help them or even offer to help them with what to do about it you know so it's it's really it's really kind of a shame because it's not that hard for us to take a few minutes and try to coach them up a little bit i probably take too many minutes but um that, that's my mo um so uh so I, I think that that's important i think it also shows compassion and i think you're not going to lose that patient um and i think if you treat that patient with respect and compassion and try to help them that they're going to go home and tell their family, wow, this is like the first doctor that didn't just tell me I was fat and tell me to get out and come back when I'm skinny. You know? We've actually had a lot, like I, I, I can't even say a handful. We've had multiple handfuls of patients that have come in that normally were well overweight, but literally have had nobody help them. Um, and we have, we've built a relationship with a, uh, a physician here who focuses on weight loss and he writes a beautiful note, my goodness. Um, but he actually tailors um, eating and recipes and all this stuff for them. Uh, we have a gastric bypass doc that we work with, but then a lot of it is honestly spending time with them and just spending 10, 15 minutes just talking about basic nutrition or basic portion control. Or so many people don't realize that they're drinking their calories when they are drinking, you know, sweet tea over unsweetened or, you know, little things like that. Um, and they come back and they get their joint fixed and they feel so much better. For, for many reasons. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's just taking the time to do a little bit of education, you know, like when somebody's heavy, like, well, what, what's your normal day of eating and drinking like? And the next thing you know, you found literally a thousand calories that you can act from their diet with just such ease. And they have absolutely no idea what, what, what they're actually doing to themselves. That's really great information. I know there's no punch clock when it's your own business. Do you have call? How do you split your time between the office and the OR, and what are your hours? We are in the office far too much. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, gosh, that's that's pretty easy. So we're 
uh, Tampa, Tampa is an environment that um, typically the vast majority of hospitals don't really require a call. You can take it if you want. Um, I've sort of been there and done that being in this business for more than two decades. So avoiding call and focusing on our arthroplasty patients has, has worked. Um, I've sort of contemplated it, but um, always want to provide the best care for whatever I take care of. And there's probably better traumatologists out there. So He's a, he's a phenomenal knee and hip surgeon, but if, you know, if I break my humerus, I, I don't really want to be touching it. Yeah, agreed, <laughs> agreed, agreed. So, uh, so we don't, we don't take call except for our patients. And, and, um, the way we handle that actually is a pretty simple system. It's, um, they call our office after hours. Uh, they push uh, four, um, they leave oh, a voice message calls now. and, um, and it's, um, it, it goes via email to our, Maddie and my phone and, and one of the two of us will answer it. Um, and that's you know, li literally 24 seven, um, from a, a rounding standpoint. Um, we, we, again, we, we really don't have inpatients, um, on the very rare occasion we do. Um, I typically actually Maddie falls on that sword. Um, we have a hospitalist that helps us out because again, pretty much always, if somebody's in the hospital, it's because of a medical problem, so we need medicine to be taking care of them anyway. Yeah, we actually, um, so we typically are at a hospital on Wednesdays, and then we're at our surgery center on Thursdays, um, and we have a, a wonderful nurse at the hospital who, I, I don't know what her title is, but she's like a little nurse angel, and she just keeps everybody calm and really helps helps us out tremendously because I am very honest with folks. I'm like, listen, we, we're at the hospital, we're at the surgery center on Thursday, I really won't have time to come and see you till the afternoon. And, you know, the folks that do end up staying, they usually don't want to stay, but they know they have to stay because of whatever medical reason. And they're usually out of there before lunchtime. So they don't even wait for, wait for me. So I'll usually call them and make sure they're okay. Um, but they're usually rip-roaring ready to go. <laughs> right now our balance is um, we operate uh, every Wednesday and every Thursday and occasionally on Monday. And we're in clinic. Monday, Tuesday, Friday, um, if we're not busy in the OR on like a Thursday afternoon or Wednesday afternoon, we will have an afternoon clinic. Um, in a perfect world, we would do four to five joints every morning, uh, four days a week, and start early, like seven or six thirty, and then run clinic from you know twelve to five every day. So that's kind of what we're shooting towards. Um, once the volume gets up a little bit higher. Flip and Maddie, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks for having us. Sure, thank you for having us. Thank you for joining the OrthoPAC podcast. Join us for our 21st annual meeting in Nashville, Tennessee, PAOS in the Music City, September the 6th to September the 10th, 2021 at the Omni Nashville Hotel. Check paos.org for details.